Galatians chapter 2. We'll begin by reading verses 1 through 10. Verse 1, Paul writes, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up because of a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders, so that I might not be running or have run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This issue arose because of false brothers smuggled in who came in secretly to spy on our freedom that we have in the Messiah, Yeshua, in order to enslave us. But we did not yield in submission to these people for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain for you. But from those recognized as important, what they really were makes no difference to me. The Almighty does not show favoritism. Those recognized as important added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. For he who was at work with Peter in the apostleship to the circumcised was also at work with me among the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John recognized as pillars acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul gives us a historical account for why he wrote his epistle. In chapter 1, we have Paul's introductory in which he defended his apostleship. Let me do a little bit of review. There is no explanation for Paul's apostleship other than a supernatural explanation. He did not change to excel in the eyes of man. He was already excelling in the eyes of man. He was at the top of his class advancing above his contemporaries in Judaism. So that's not why he changed. He didn't change to have a better life. His change brought on severe persecution. Shaul of Tarsus was not being persecuted when he did not believe in the Messiah. His belief in the Messiah brought on persecution. And when I say persecution, I don't just mean somebody talked about him behind his back. I meant people were out to kill him. His change brought on people attempting to murder him for his belief. And so Paul's change cannot be explained in the natural. It can only be explained in the supernatural. Paul's change was from heaven. It was a gift that Yahweh gave him from heaven. It was a new heart. It was a new mind. Paul encountered the glorified Yeshua on the road to Damascus. The Messiah who had been raised from the dead by Yahweh. And then went to heaven to live with Yahweh. That's who Saul of Tarsus encountered on the road to Damascus. That's what happened to him. There's no other explanation. Paul is proof that Yahweh can change the hardest of hearts. The very heart that you don't think that Yahweh can change. He can change. Paul did not receive his gospel from men. And that is true. That's a true statement. But last week we saw that Paul had great respect for the men who had believed in Yeshua before him. Men who were direct apostles of the master like Kepha and Yohanan, Peter and John. And he had great respect for the man who was the very brother of our Lord. 
Yaakov. We know him as James the Just. See, Paul had been preaching his gospel to the nations for quite some time. But when he finally got around to going back to Jerusalem, in order, remember, he went up to Jerusalem. Why? Because of a revelation from prophet Agabus. He went to Jerusalem to bring some famine relief to the poor saints there. The first thing he did was not bust up in the city shouting his gospel. But he went privately to the leaders. The Bible tells us that he went privately to them to make sure that he was not running in vain. That's a metaphor for to make sure he was not preaching for nothing. And even though we only covered the first two verses in chapter 2 of Galatians last week, we read verses 1 through 10 last week and also this week now. And we've seen that Paul was not running in vain. He was not preaching for naught. The pillars of the church in Jerusalem gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. What was it that the pillars in the congregation agreed with Paul on? This was Paul's gospel. Paul talks about my gospel in some of his epistles. This was Paul's gospel. And the pillars agreed with him. Peter, James, and John agreed with Paul. It was this. An uncircumcised Gentile heathen could receive the forgiveness of sins and a place in the new covenant apart from becoming a Yehudim or a Judahite through ritual circumcision. That was Paul's gospel in a nutshell. See, at first, the only people that had the gospel preached to them were Israelites. Specifically, those in the southern kingdom, the house of Judah. But not just to those of the house of Judah, also to any Israelite that may have been in the land of Israel and was circumcised and was a Torah keeper and believed in Father Yahweh. The gospel went to them first, but not by the mouth of Paul, but by the mouth of the original apostles of our Lord and also by the Lord's brother, Yaakov. All of the men of Israel were circumcised. And all of the women in the families of Israel, where circumcision was believed in and taught and practiced, they were keepers of the Torah. And they were considered to be Yehudim or Israelites because of their attachment to men who grew up in the faith of Israel. See, the Torah was paramount in the homes of these people. From a little child... They grew up not just in a home that believed in the Torah and the teachings of Yahweh, but in a society, in a community that believed in the teachings of Yahweh. It would be like you ever drive out in town on Christmas Day and you see nobody in town because the only thing that's open is the gas station here and there, the movie theater at 12, and the Waffle House. Everybody's closed. That is what it would be like for an Israelite in the first century in the land of Judah there in the city of Jerusalem. And they would go out in their house on the Sabbath day, go out of their house on the Sabbath day, nobody would be working. The whole society kept the law. The good news about the Messiah went to these people first. And, and also it first went to proselytes to Judaism. Proselytes meaning people that were not of Israel, but that proselyted to Judaism through primarily through physical circumcision. And they became then known as a Judahite. They were known as a Judahite not because of their genealogy or ancestry, but they were known as a Judahite because they took upon the sign of the covenant, physical circumcision. They also would traditionally, they would do a mikvah, which is a Hebrew word for baptism. And then they would offer a sacrifice in the temple and they would keep the Torah. The gospel went to these people. 
So when the gospel was preached to circumcised Israelites and circumcised proselytes, that is when Yeshua's life, death, burial, and resurrection was preached to these people, some of them accepted and others rejected. Only those Israelites who accepted had the right to be called the children of Yahweh. John 1, 11 through 12 says that. To those who received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of Yahweh. Even to them that believe on his name. So any Israelite that was involved in the old covenant, but when Yeshua the Messiah came on the scene, if they rejected the Messiah, they did not have a right to be called the children of Yahweh. Because they have rejected the one whom Yahweh had sent to save them from their sins. When an Israelite received the gospel, there was no need to worry about getting him circumcised or getting a man or a woman to observe the law of Moses. Why? Because they were already doing that. All the men of Israel, but they were circumcised when they were eight days old as little babies. And the women, they were Torah observant. They kept all the feasts. They ate kosher. They kept the Sabbath, etc. So there was no need to teach them or to preach to them about the law. They were already doing that. The gospel just went forth to them. Some believed, some rejected. But when a Gentile, a heathen, someone that was uncircumcised, a worshiper of a false pagan mighty one, someone that was not in covenant with Israel, when they heard the gospel preached to them as Paul was doing and they received Yeshua, there was a dilemma there in the first century. The dilemma is this. They're uncircumcised and they don't observe the teachings or the law of Yahweh. They've not grown up in a home where worship to Yahweh was done. In fact, they may have been a worshiper of Zeus or Dionysus or Diana, the Greek gods and goddesses of that time in the known world. Paul's gospel was this, that these heathen people that accepted the message about Yeshua, the son of Yahweh, they had the forgiveness of sins and a right standing with Yahweh as covenant members apart from physical circumcision or the works of the law. But some of the Judahite Israelite believers in Yeshua, they didn't agree with Paul's gospel. They fought Paul's gospel. Galatians 2 verses 3 through 4 says this, But not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This issue arose because of false brothers smuggled in who came in secretly to spy on our freedom that we have in the Messiah Yeshua in order to enslave us. Now, I want to get your mind stirring. I want to get your mind thinking on these verses today. I want you to meditate on what I'm saying, what the scripture says, and think a little bit. Would it have been okay for Titus, being a Greek, would it have been okay for Titus to get circumcised? Well, absolutely it would have been okay. That would not have been a problem at all. I was circumcised as a little boy at the hospital, not because my parents were Jewish and not because my parents obeyed the Torah, but this is why I was circumcised. Because here in the United States for a long time now, it has been looked upon as a proper medical procedure for little boys. But this procedure, circumcision, is not practiced by the large majority of the world today. I want to read a section from the online circumcision reference library. 
Urologic Clinics of North America, Volume 12, Number 1, pages 123 through 132, February 1985, if anybody's wondering where I'm getting it from. We read this, quote, The continuing practice of routine neonatal non-religious circumcision represents an enigma, particularly in the United States. About 80% of the world's population do not practice circumcision, nor have they ever done so. Among the non-circumcising nations are Holland, Belgium, France, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Scandinavia, the USSR, China, and Japan. People employing circumcision do so for either health reasons or as a religious ritual practiced by Muslims, Jews, most black Africans, non-white Australians, and others, end of quote. Now, if you continue to read the article, you will find that the reason for routine baby circumcisions in the USA does not go back to a religious reason. The reason is it was adopted in the late 1800s, around 1875 to 1895, because there was a man or a group of men that believed in the health benefits of the practice. Now, I was circumcised as a baby not on the eighth day, as the scripture commands. Remember, that's part of the commandment. If you're a parent and you have a little male son, you circumcise that child, and that's not the only part of the commandment, but you circumcise him on the eighth day. All my sons, my three sons, were circumcised on the eighth day. Why? Because I obeyed the commandment of Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh gave the commandment, I obeyed it, and they took upon the sign of the covenant made to Abraham in Genesis 17. But I was not circumcised on the eighth day, but nevertheless I was circumcised as a baby. Does my circumcision make me ineligible for salvation in the Messiah? No, of course not. Does it make me ineligible? So would the simple act of obeying the commandment of circumcision cause Titus to forfeit his right to salvation? Not at all. Titus could have gotten circumcised and he would have been just as saved after the procedure as he was before the procedure. But, and here's the big issue, Paul says that Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. The word compelled, it's a great word, it's a great translation, I'm not knocking it. But another word that may make it easier for us to understand is Titus wasn't forced to be circumcised. That's what compelled means. He was not forced to be circumcised. And the issue arose because of false brothers who came in to investigate what was going on with Paul's gospel to the Gentiles. These false brothers, and I'm not the one calling them false. Paul calls them false here in Galatians 2. These false brothers were distorting or twisting the gospel by adding circumcision or becoming a proselyte to the gospel. Remember in chapter 1 where Paul speaks of another gospel or a different gospel? And he says it's not really another one, but there are some that are trying to distort or twist the gospel of the grace of the Messiah. Paul pronounces a curse on such people in Galatians 1. And this is why Paul calls these men here in Galatians 2. He calls them false brothers. They're brothers because they profess to believe in the Messiah. But Paul calls them false brothers because they're twisting and distorting the gospel by trying to add physical circumcision to the gospel. They're going behind Paul. Paul went and did some missionary work in Galatia. 
These men went behind him and said, no, Paul's wrong. Paul's teaching a false gospel. And Paul's saying, no, you're the ones that are teaching the false gospel. Because these men, some of the Judahite brothers in the Messiah, false brothers, were saying this to men like Titus. You aren't really saved until you get circumcised and become a proselyte to Judah. And brothers and sisters, that is adding to the gospel. This is why Titus was not forced to be circumcised. To force Titus to get circumcised under the pressure of these false brothers would in essence be saying they were correct. Paul would be saying the false brothers were correct and that circumcision was a prerequisite to salvation for the Gentiles. So Titus would have become like a trophy for the false brothers and they would have boasted in his circumcision, we're the ones that forced Titus to get circumcised. So therefore now he's really saved because now he's one of us. He's a Yehudim because he has proselyted to our faith. They would not only boast in his circumcision, but they also would boast in their circumcision, or I should say they did boast in their circumcision. They treated physical circumcision as though it was a one-way ticket to the kingdom of heaven, and there was no coming off of it or no going back from it. But the freedom that the Gentiles had in the Messiah Yeshua was freedom from having to obey a law, specifically circumcision, in order to have their sins forgiven. That's what the freedom in Galatians 2 is talking about. Remember, they grew up as heathens. They were not Torah observant like the Judahites who accepted Yeshua. And according to verse 4, this teaching from the false brothers was an attempt to bring bondage upon the Gentiles. And that is because as soon as you begin to teach that a person has to keep a law or the law in general in order to receive the forgiveness of sins... You are taking the emphasis off of what Yahweh has done for us through His Son and you are placing the emphasis on something that you or that we do for Yahweh. That's a distortion of the gospel. And you are placing a yoke upon somebody's neck that is impossible for anyone to bear. Why? Because every single person, Judahite or Gentile, has transgressed the law of Almighty Yahweh. Even many of the circumcised Israelites in the first century were wicked men. They walked around like they were the holiest thing to hit Jerusalem. Yes, they were circumcised in the flesh, but they were not circumcised in the heart. The scribes and the Pharisees of Matthew 23, contrary to what some people think, those scribes and Pharisees were thoroughbred Israelite men. Impeccable genealogy. Yeshua even acknowledged their authority in the seat of Moses. Yeshua said that they sit in the seat of Moses. And Yeshua even said they did some things right, like paying their tithes. He said they were very meticulous on paying their tithes of even the smallest garden plants. But Yeshua called them serpents, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, and liars. And Yeshua was just taking the lead from Yahweh his father because in the book of the prophet Isaiah, Yahweh the father calls the shepherds of Israel greedy dogs. So he calls them an unclean animal because of why? Their wickedness, their lawlessness. See, Yeshua calls them all these things because, that is in Matthew 23, because their faith rested in their works. They trusted in their self for their own salvation. 
and they trusted in their genealogy for their own salvation. They believe that's what made them saved, what I do and who I am in my ancestry and my background. When John the baptizer preached by the river Jordan, he cried out to the scribes and Pharisees, Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't just tell me we have Abraham as our father, for Yahweh is able to raise up descendants of Abraham from these stones. See, John was expressing to the Pharisees that their genealogy didn't mean a hill of beans when it came to their salvation. To proclaim Father Abraham in the first century, that was shorthand for being an Israelite. It wasn't just saying, well, Abraham is my father through Ishmael or one of Keturah's sons. I'm a descendant of Abraham that way. No, to say Abraham is our father means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is where we descend from. That's what it says. And that's why John the baptizer says, I don't want to hear anything about Abraham being your father. I don't want to hear anything about how that you're okay and you're saved because of your genealogy or your ancestry. I don't want to hear it, guys. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John is telling them. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Repent. Well, the false brothers that smuggled themselves in to investigate or to spy out the liberty that the Gentiles had for salvation and to investigate Paul's gospel to the Gentiles, those false brothers had the same mentality as the Pharisees of Matthew 23. They would say something like this, Whoa, whoa! You can't tell heathens like Titus that their sins are forgiven by just faith in the Messiah. You can't do that. He, Titus isn't even circumcised. Titus needs to meet our criteria before he can be one of us. Circumcise him. Make him go through our mikvah. Take him to the temple. Let him offer a sacrifice. Make him observe the whole Torah. Then his sins will be forgiven. But Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 5, We did not yield in submission to these people for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain in you. The gospel must have been very important to the Apostle Paul because he said we didn't back down for even an hour. We stood and we held our ground about the gospel of grace in salvation in the Messiah. That Titus was just as saved as any Judahite that had grew up circumcised and obedient to the Torah. And he was saved by faith in the Messiah and not by the works of the law. Paul did not compel Titus to become circumcised because of the teaching of these false brothers. Now, had Titus later came to Paul of his own accord and said, you know what, Paul, I would like to be circumcised. I'd like to take on the Abrahamic sign. I would like to eat the Passover. That would be wonderful. There is nothing wrong with the commandment of circumcision. Titus could have gotten circumcised. That would be fine. But that's not what happened in Galatians 2. These false brothers wanted to force Titus to be circumcised so that in their minds he could be saved from his sins. And Paul said, we're not budging off the gospel, not even for an hour. The good news of the Messiah will remain with these Gentiles that have accepted Yeshua by faith. Think about it. Had Paul budged off the truth of the gospel and went ahead and compelled or forced Titus to be circumcised under the pressure of the false brothers, that would have placed in Titus's mind that he was not saved until he got circumcised. And so somebody could come along later on down the road and say, Titus, are you saved in the Messiah? Are you saved from your sins? And Titus would say, well, I've been circumcised. 
And the person would say, well, we're talking about the faith in the Messiah. Did you have faith in the Messiah that you were a sinner, you had transgressed the laws of Yahweh, and by faith in what the Messiah did for you, you could be forgiven for your sins? And Titus would say, well, yeah, I mean, I did that, but I wasn't saved until I got circumcised. That would have warped Titus's mind to believe that something that he did saved him from his sins. Brothers and sisters, we here at this congregation, this is a Torah-observant congregation. That doesn't mean this is a sinless congregation, by the way. Don't think that you're sinless because you're Torah-observant. But this is a Torah-observant congregation. And that's a good thing because the Torah is holy, just, and good. Paul wrote that in Romans 7. But if our main witness to unbelievers in the world is keeping a particular law instead of Yeshua died for your sins against Yahweh's law and it's only through faith in Him that you'll be made righteous. If that's not our message and keeping a particular law is our message, then we're on thin ice of distorting the gospel just like these false brothers. If I witness to an unbeliever, if Brother Matthew goes out, meets an unbeliever, and my primary message to him is how to wear a tunic or how to make tassels, or how to not eat pork, or how to keep the Sabbath, if that's my primary message to him, I am bypassing that unbeliever's deadness in sin and his need for a Savior. An unbeliever does not need to learn how to keep the law in his or her own power. Do you know what they need to learn? An unbeliever needs to learn that they have not kept the law. That's what they need to hear. Learning areas of obedience is for someone who has already come to grips with the fact that they are a sinner and they are in desperate need of Yeshua, the Son of Yahweh. And once someone experiences being born from above anyhow, they will automatically want to please and love the Creator with their life and obey the commandments. Why? Because they're a changed creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Sometimes you see people come to church or start coming to church and they're an unbeliever and you talk to them and they say, I know, I know, I know. I need, to, I need to do all these things and I need to stop doing all these things. When somebody says that, that's an unregenerate man that you're talking to. Because a regenerate man is excited about the proper things that he ought to do to follow Yahweh. And he then now hates the things that he knows he should not do. Why? Why? Well, it's because his brother TJ has been teaching us about in Ephesians. The man has now been born from above. Or born again. I don't have a problem with that phrase. Some people do. Born again is referring to a spiritual birth. In other words, he has a new way of thinking. He has a new heart. He has a new mind. And now that man wants to be obedient to Yahweh. But an unbeliever, if you try to force an unbeliever to obey a law or the law, all you're doing is you're putting pearls and lipstick on a pig. And a pig is still a pig by nature. The only way that you'll get a pig from eating the slop out of the trough is if somehow, supernaturally, that pig changes into a man while he's sitting there eating out of the trough. But as long as a pig is a pig, he's going to eat out of the trough. But if by somehow he changed all of a sudden to a human being and he was a man and he had his face down in the trough, he'd look up and say, what in the world am I doing eating out of this trough? Why? Because he was changed into another creature. So when we witness to an unbeliever, an unbeliever doesn't need me to witness to them about, hey, this, listen, listen, let me teach you how to tie the tassels and put you on a set of tassels. 
It's like putting lipstick on a pig. The unbeliever needs to learn how that he has not or how that she has not kept the law of Yahweh and how that they are dead in sin and how unless they repent of their sin, they will perish unless they place their faith in the one who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, they will be lost. That's the message of the gospel. Teaching an unregenerate person how to observe laws as a natural fleshly man or woman, you know what that's going to do? That is only going to make them think that their right standing with Yahweh is based upon something that they are doing rather than something that has already been done for them. And listen, even the Judahites in the first century that were already Torah observant, they were not sinless. They observed the Torah and they kept it better than anybody in here today. Once again, they were raised in it. Their society obeyed it. But do you know what? They were still lost in their sins. If they rejected the Messiah. Because he came to die for their sins. They had sins too. Now you'd look at him and you'd think Torah observant. Circumcised the eighth day. Going to the temple. But if Yeshua showed up. And they rejected him. They would be lost. And they would die. In their transgressions of the law. All of their works meant nothing if they rejected the one whom Yahweh sent to them. As Paul says in Romans, the end of Romans chapter 2, for he is not a Judahite who is one outwardly. And circumcision is not that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Judahite who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart whose praise is not of men but of Yahweh. Titus would have got a lot of praise from men had he given in and been forced to be circumcised. He would have got a lot of praise from men. They'd have buddied up with him. All right, Titus, you're one of us now. But Titus, by the grace of Yahweh, took the praise that comes from Yahweh. And praise Yahweh, there was a man like Paul that said, we're not budging off of the gospel. Paul said, nope, we're not forcing Titus to get circumcised just because these men are smuggling themselves in and they're pushing him to do it. We're not going to budge on it one bit. The truth of the gospel will remain. Titus is going to be saved by grace through faith and not of works. Just like Abraham was saved by grace through faith and not of works. Just like James was saved by grace through faith and not of works. Titus is going to be saved the exact same way. Why do you want to put a yoke on the neck of the Gentiles that neither we nor our fathers have ever been able to bear? The weight of the law as justification cannot be placed on a man's neck. It is a yoke that you or anybody else will never, ever be able to bear. So my friends, as I close, are you trusting in something other than the Messiah for your salvation? I want you to ask you that question. Don't think about everybody else sitting in here. Don't think about somebody that's not here. Ask yourself that question. I asked myself this question as I put this sermon together. Are you trusting in some kind of work that you are doing as the ticket to your salvation? Something that you did. Are you placing more emphasis on that for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you believe that you're a saint because there is something in particular that you do? 
Or, or do you believe that you're a saint because you trust in what the Messiah did for you? And you know that any works that you do flow by grace, flow by faith out of your new heart and your new mind. I don't want to be guilty of twisting the gospel. I don't want to be guilty of distorting the gospel. I don't want to be guilty of adding anything to the gospel because I don't want the curse that Paul pronounced to come on me even in the year 2017 so far removed from the curse. I don't want to be called a false brother by Paul. If you are putting your trust in a work that you have done or are doing for your salvation, then you need to repent of that today. And you need to place your faith in the Messiah that was raised from the dead because he qualified to be the perfect lamb, the lamb of Yahweh. He qualified. None of us qualify. We don't qualify. We're not the lamb. But he is the lamb. No good works that you will ever do will be good enough to save yourself from eternal destruction. You can't add to a finished full cup of righteousness that Yeshua accomplished. Yahweh looked at Yeshua. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But when he looks down at all of us prior to our regeneration, he is not well pleased in us. And the only way that he will be well pleased in us if we are attached or in the Messiah. And then we're a fellow heir. Those things, Brother Arnold was talking about how that he is... He has been appointed as the heir of all things. Hebrews 1 verse 2. We can become a fellow heir or a joint heir with him. But it's not because you put a set of tassels on this morning. I wear tassels. I wear them every day. I do it because it's a commandment. But I'm not a fellow heir because I put on a set of tassels. I want to do those things. But all of those things, they would have never been accomplished or flowed out of my heart had I not been changed into a new creature. I would have never desired to obey Yahweh had He have not blessed me with a new heart and a new mind. Don't put trust in anything you do, brothers and sisters. Put your entire trust in Yeshua, the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb. He is the Lamb of Yahweh. He's Yahweh's Lamb. And that is the only way that you and I will ever be forgiven of our sin is by trust in our Messiah. We'll continue this in Galatians 2 next week, Yahweh's will. Let's stand and have a word of prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. You are great and greatly to be praised. Father, I pray that the truth of the gospel would be so important to us. I pray that it would be as important to us now as it was to Brother Paul then. Yahweh, Father, help us to trust in your Son for our forgiveness. Help us to love what you have accomplished for us. Cause us to realize our desperate need for that gift. Cause us, Yahweh, if, if we don't understand it, if we don't know how desperate we were and how desperate we are, Cause us to realize 
our deadness in sin and our need for a Savior from our sins. Help us, Yahweh, to see it. Let the gospel be so sweet to us. I love you, Yahweh. I love your people. And I love your Messiah. It's through him I pray. Amen.